addition to light. It's my joy and my privilege today to introduce a fellow I've gotten to know over the last several months. He's been serving uh, in, in an internship capacity with us since about September, the end of August, beginning of September. And you want to see a life change. This, is, this, is, this, this, this guy's an example of that. How many of you guys know about the refuge? How many of you guys know we've supported refuge for a number of years? You're about to hear from a gentleman who is right now studying at OCU for the ministry, getting ready to graduate this May. But he also is the guy that Jesus jerked out of darkness into the marvelous light. And because you have been faithful to be givers and we've been faithful to support the refuge, a life like him gets to go spread the gospel. So, would you do me a favor and give a warm welcome to Don Anderson. Well, it's great to be in the house of the Lord this morning and with my church family. And Some of you I don't know real well yet, but I'm getting to know you more. And the more I get to know you guys, the more I, you know, just love you and just feel at home amongst you and feel like, you know, God really directing my steps. And and bringing me to this place, but uh, I just want to start out with a, a word of prayer because it's important that the Lord speaks through me, and that's the most important thing, so let's just pray. Father, I just thank you, Lord, that you brought us all into your house here this morning, and we just thank you for your marvelous grace, Lord, that you saved us, Lord, that you brought us up out of the muck and the mire, Lord, and you placed our feet on solid ground, Lord, so that we could Sing a new song, Lord, praise unto the Most High God. Lord, I just ask, Lord, that this morning that hearts would be open, Lord, to hear your word, and that they would be, they would be good hearts, Lord, that the seed would fall on good ground, Lord, and that they would take it and that it would grow, or that the word would grow and that it would bring forth fruit in their life. Lord, I just ask that you just speak through me, Lord, in spite of my, myself, my mumbling I just ask the Lord to speak through me. And I believe that if, if you could speak through Balaam's donkey, Lord, you could speak through me. So I ask that you do that this morning. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, let's start out with a question. How many of you have all ever been grocery shopping? Probably about everybody in the house. Well, me too. I've been grocery shopping before too. Have you ever been grocery shopping before and seen the woman with like the 10 kids running around all crazy, you know, and they're like running up and down the aisles and they're putting stuff in the grocery cart and she's telling them to put it back, you know, and she's fighting with all these kids. How many has ever seen that woman? Yeah, hopefully there's not that woman out here in the audience. <laughs> but okay, yeah, so we've all seen that woman before. So how many of you, when you went to go leave the grocery store after, you know, doing your grocery shopping, that woman is in your line. She's in the front of your line, and she's got like three grocery carts full of stuff, and she's got all of her coupons out in her checkbook, and she's getting ready to pay for the price of everything, and they ring it all up, and she finds out she didn't have enough money to pay for it, because she didn't count the cost of what everything was properly. Have you ever seen that happen before? Maybe that's happened to you before. You've got, you went shopping, and you got up there, there's a bunch of people behind you, and you find out that... You don't have enough to pay for the stuff that you brought up. Has that ever happened to you before? It's kind of embarrassing, is it? 
and you know, we feel sorry for that woman or you know, for ourselves when that happens, and we realize that it must be pretty embarrassing. But uh, you know, I think that people do that same thing all the time in regards to becoming Christians. You know, they start out on the journey of discipleship without first counting the cost properly. And as a result, once they start walking the walk and they see what it really costs, they realize, man, this costs a lot more than I was willing to pay. And they have to end up turning back to their own life, their old life. And that's, that's pretty embarrassing. And I know because I've been in that situation before. Like, it, it can be pretty embarrassing. So maybe over the years, you know, you've wanted to become a follower of Jesus Christ. And you'd really like to know what it really costs, what you're really getting yourself into before you make any kind of commitment. If you're that kind of person, I, I applaud you because that's a wise thing to do, to sit down and count the cost. But more than likely, many of you are probably already Christians. You've heard about what it costs to follow Jesus. But just like us, just like me, you need a reminder of what it's going to cost. If either two of those people that I'm describing as you, you know, I'm glad you're here this morning because that's what we're going to, or that's what we're going to discuss, what it costs to follow Christ. So our passage this morning is in Luke 14. 25 through 33. I hope you brought your Bibles because I'm going to use it this morning. <laughs> when you're there, say amen. <laughs> All right. Okay. Jesus says, And there went great multitudes with him, and he turned and said unto them, If any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife, and children, and brethren, and sisters, and yea, his own life also. He cannot be my disciple. That's pretty heavy. And whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you intending to build a tower sitteth not down first and counteth the cost, whether he hath sufficient to finish it? Less happily after he hath laid the foundation and is not able to finish it, all that behold it began to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish or what king going to make war against another king sitteth not down first and consulteth whether he is able with 10,000 to meet them that cometh against him with 20,000? Or else while the other is yet a great way off, he sendeth an ambassage and desires conditions of peace. So likewise, whosoever he be of you that forsaketh not all that he hath cannot be my disciple. So, What's going on in the context of this passage is that we find Jesus with these great multitudes following him. Now, if you look a couple chapters back, Jesus had set his fates towards Jerusalem. He was on his way to Jerusalem where he knew that he was going to be killed by the religious leaders. He knew that he was going to give his life for mankind. But Jesus was on a mission. He was being very intentional. And you see that all these great multitudes were following Jesus around. Now, there's a couple reasons why they were following him. Uh, one reason was is because of Jesus' miracles. They were very fascinated by his ability to do all these great miracles and like, wow, this is amazing. But the other thing, and this is probably the primary reason that they were following, was because they believed that Jesus, rightly so, was the promised Jewish Messiah. But where they went wrong was they thought the promised Jewish Messiah was going to set up an earthly kingdom and he was going to deliver them from this tyrannical rule of the Roman Empire. Well, that's where they were wrong. Jesus was the promised Jewish Messiah. He was going to set up a kingdom, but it wasn't going to be quite then. So they were following him around because they're like, hey, 
We might be sleeping on the hill tonight, guys, but hey, it's going to pay off following Jesus around for a little while. One of these days, we're going to be sleeping in the Hilton. You know, that's, that's what their thoughts was. They were following Jesus around because they thought that they might be able to get something out of it. That's what they was following him around. So Jesus knew this. So it, you'll see in, in verse 25 that Jesus turned around. He just basically, he, they're following him around. Jesus turns around and says to them, hey, if you want to be my disciple, this is what it's going to cost. And what he was telling them was that following him was not going to result in them serving in his great earthly royal entourage because he was not going to set up an earthly kingdom, but it was rather, it was going to cost them their lives if they was going to follow Jesus. And in the context of this passage, I would suggest that Jesus clearly defines for us three major costs of following him that also speak to us today. The first cost that Jesus defines is that dedication to him will mean that you have to love him more than anyone else. And we can see this in verse 26. Jesus says, If any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, he cannot be my disciple. And that sounds really heavy, like hate your mom and dad. And Well, the reason why that sounds so heavy to us is because of the way that we use the word hate. See, in, the way, in our language, the way that we understand hate, hate is the opposite of love. But in this passage, in the Greek language, in the way that it's used here, it's actually an exaggerated contrast, meaning to love less. Hate means to love less. So really, it would read, if anyone comes to me and does not love less his father and mother, wife and children and brethren and sisters, his own life, he cannot be my disciple. And we can look at other places in scriptures too to back this up because Jesus says to love your enemies. You know, do good to those who hate you. So Jesus doesn't command us to hate anyone. That's, you know, so that's not what he's trying to say here. He's saying that we have to love everyone less than him. That's simple enough. So basically the, the teaching in this passage is not that we're required to hate our families. Neither is it that we have to abandon our families in order to be a disciple. But sometimes this will mean that we have to leave behind our family and friends. Sometimes it does mean that. And if we're not willing to do that, he says we can't be his disciple. Um, he had, Pastor Aaron had said a little bit that I'd come from the refuge. And so I'd like to give a little story about that because I have a lot of interesting stories from the refuge. It's a very interesting place. But um, as you all know, I went to the refuge. The refuge is a men's ministry where you actually go for a year plus to stay and be discipled. And most of the men that come in the refuge have been addicted to drugs and alcohol or all kinds of different stuff. You don't have to be a drug addict to get in there, but that's generally the thing that got everybody broke down to the place where they, they said, Jesus, I can't do it by myself, so help me out. So when I went to the refuge, I was there for about two years. I, I went through 13 months and graduated, then I stayed about another year as an intern. But during that time there, I didn't hardly see anyone from my past. I saw my mom and my sister here and there, but I had to leave everyone behind that I knew in the past. And most of those people, I still don't associate with them today because I know that those people are, are bad for me. And, you know, I knew that I had to stay in the refuge because I had to get what God was trying to give me so that I could help other people. Because if you, if you can't even help yourself, you ain't going to be able to help nobody else. You know... 
I know that God may not call some of you to do something like that. You know, I went there because, I mean, I guess I had a choice. I could have not went. Probably ended up in prison or dead or something like that, you know. But um, God might not call you to do something like that. But if he did, you have to ask yourself a question. Would you be willing? If God asked you to pack up everything and go, hit the mission field, would you be willing? And especially, I know it would be very challenging if you had family. I'm not married. I don't have children. But I imagine that that would be a very hard thing. But Jesus said, still, you can't put that before him. You, You have to be willing and know in your heart that you would be willing to do that. So I think that the question that you need to ask yourself in, in regards to the teaching of this passage is, is there someone in my life that I'm placing before God that's keeping me from giving my all to see the Great Commission come into place? And that's the question we need to ask ourselves because Jesus has to come first. If we're really going to call ourselves Christians, like you gotta, we've got to do it right. You know, I think that probably the Holy Spirit has been prompting a lot of you because he's always prompted me to really get out of the boat and follow him. Give it your all. You know, the Christian life is meant to be lived in this state of constant tension. We're always going up higher and higher and higher. So, you know, if God has been leading you in that way, you have to be obedient because you're either going one way or the other with God. There is no middle ground. So resolve in your mind this morning that you're willing to pay that cost. Love Christ more than anyone else by putting him first. The second cost that Jesus defines is that dedication to him means letting go of self-centeredness. And I get that from verse 26, the latter part of it. Jesus said, If any man comes to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, and his own life also, his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. So you can't put your own desires or ambitions before God. Um, I think that, like I alluded to earlier, Jesus was probably saying this because these great crowds were following Jesus around because they thought that he was their ticket to fame and fortune, basically. They were only thinking about themselves and how following Jesus would benefit them. But Jesus told them plainly that if you want to be my disciple, you have to deny yourself and start thinking about what is best for the kingdom, not what is best for you. And there's a parable that I like very well that illustrates very well how many of us act at times in regards to our dealings with God. So if you'll turn with me to Mark 10, 17 through 23. We're going to talk about the rich young ruler. Let me read it for you. And when he was gone forth into the way, there came one running and kneeled to him and asked him, Good master, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? And Jesus said unto him, Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one, that is God. Thou knowest the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not kill, do not steal, do not bear false witness, defraud not, honor thy father and mother. And he answered and said to him, Master, all these things I have observed from my youth. Then Jesus, beholding him, loved him. Jesus always tells us the truth. And said unto him, One thing thou lackest, go thy way, sell whatsoever thou hast, and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come take up thy cross and follow me. 
And he was sad at the saying and went away grieved, for he had great possessions. So with the rich young ruler, you know, there was nothing wrong with his wanting to receive eternal life. Like, that is a totally noble quest. He's wanting to know, how can I, get, how can I be saved, Lord? What, is it, what does that take? But the problem was is that he wasn't willing to part with the thing that was keeping him from receiving it. He was more, he was, he was more interested in what God could do for him than what he could do for God. He just wanted his eternal life and that was it. He didn't want to do anything for God. Jesus says, well, get rid of all your money, take up your cross and follow me. He's like, oh, I can't do that, Jesus. Deal's off. You know, I think many of us are like the rich young ruler. I think we try to make Jesus our own personal genie. I really think we do. We're like, when we want him to come out, we're like, oh, Jesus, give me three, three wishes. <laughs> we do that. And then when we don't want to fool, then we're like, oh, Jesus, you hide over here somewhere. You know, like, that's how we do. I think it really is. You know, we, and we, we kind of like try to bargain with God, bargain with him. We say, Lord, we follow all your commands, especially the ones that are convenient to us. <laughs> so can you please bless us? But when he asks us to submit our will and the plans that we have for our, our lives to him, we turn back from following him, just like the rich ruler, because we feel that we have great plans, much like he had great wealth, don't we? We do that. You know, maybe this morning you're arguing with God. I do it all the time, trust me. Ask one of my friends back there about letting him be the Lord of your life totally because you feel like you can't do your thing and his thing too. If so, ask yourself, what is that that you're holding on to that is keeping you from total surrender? What is the one thing that you lack? If you intend to follow Jesus, you have to surrender your life totally in the plans that you have for your life. You know, this is not on my notes, but I really feel like I just want to say this. You know, I think I don't want to be too hard here because I know that I can be hard sometimes, but I think sometimes God probably feels ripped off. You know? He, he, he died for us. You know, he... He redeemed us. That, that term redeem, that's a slavery term. That means we were once slaves to sin, and he redeemed us. That means he bought us back. We were originally his. We sinned our own way, and he died, gave his own life, an innocent man, paid with his blood, and bought us back. And we sit around and don't do nothing. You know, Paul says to Timothy... In First uh, Timothy, he says, guard the good deposit that was given to you. Guard it by the Holy Spirit. And also, Jesus, in his parable of the talents, that, that, the talents, what those are, talents was a way that gold was measured. And a talent of gold, let me tell you, that was a lot of gold, a lot of gold. And you say, oh, I'm just a one-talent person. If you're just one talent, that was a ton of gold. And he talks about God gave some people one talent, some three, some five. That talent, that good deposit that he's put in us, that's the gospel that he's invested in us. And we're supposed to use that. Like he says, I don't think that God, God is wrong in, in feeling like he should get some sort of return on his investment. 
when he's invested the gospel in us, like, I tell you what, we should go do something about that. We might ought to want to go out and invest that into something, go share that, spread that around a little bit because God died so that we could have life. So we need to share that with others. We're blessed to be a blessing. I just need to say it. I just need to say it. So our, our third and final cost that Jesus defines is that, and this is the hardest one, dedication to him is dedication to the crucifixion of self, which will mean a life of service. Um, I see this in verse 27. I'm going to share it, and then I'll explain it here. Explain, explain my rationale. He said, And whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. So I used to wonder, like, how would the crowds know what Jesus was talking about when he was saying, take up my cross? Like, Jesus hadn't went to the cross and died yet. Like, how would they know what take up your cross and follow me means? Have any of you ever wondered that? Well, maybe I just got a very inquisitive mind. But anyways... <laughs> You know, I did some studying some time ago about that, and uh, I found out that in Jesus' day, the Romans used crucifixion as a form of punishment, and like it was like the capital punishment. It was like for the worst people. Um, it was what they used primarily for insurrectionists, people who tried to overthrow the Roman government. So what they would do is they would crucify these people, let them hang out there for days to be Birds come, peck their eyes out. They just, this terrible, slow death. And they put them out in front of everyone so everyone would know. And they actually would put them along roads. The Romans were famous for building roads. And they would put them out along these roads so everyone would know, look, this is what happens when you try to overthrow the Roman government. This is what's going to happen to you. We're going to hang you up on a cross, and you're going to die a terrible, miserable death. So, I figuring that out... Um, when I was thinking about that, the people knew that Jesus was probably the promised Jewish Messiah who was going to overthrow this Roman government. And they probably realized very well that Jesus fit into the category of an insurrectionist probably pretty good. So when he said, if you want to be my disciple, then you have to pick up your cross and follow me, you can bet daggone well they knew what he was talking about. They are saying, man, Jesus is like, he's going to go die, like literally die. So they understood that, that if you're going to follow me, they understood that Jesus was saying, if you're going to follow me, not only are you going to have to give up your own desires for your life, but you're probably really literally going to die. So, and, and Jesus knew that when someone dies to their self, that's when they're truly going to find their life. And that's basically the paradox of discipleship, is that if you really want to live, then you've got to die. If you want to be great, then you've got to be the least. If you want to be first, then you've got to be last. Amen? <laughs> In the previous cost that we discussed, it involved letting go of the control of your life by surrendering your plans, your ideas, your ambitions and dreams that you have for your life. But it's not enough just to surrender your plans. After you surrender your plans, you've got to take up his plan for your life because God has a plan for everybody. I believe that. God created you for a specific reason, and there's something out there for you. You just got to seek the Lord about it. And the reason why we have to take up his plan is because, use this analogy of switching habits. 
in order to quit smoking, you generally have to trade it for another habit because there's this vacuum that takes place. If I'm going to quit smoking, like I'm going to start eating bubble gum all the time, or something to take place of that so that I don't go back to the old thing. So when we, when we surrender our plan for our life, we have to take up his plan because that is what gives us our new purpose, our new sense of purpose in life. You have to do that. You just can't sit down idling and say, well, Lord, I gave up all these things. I lived this great moral life. Well, the Pharisees did that. Like, it's not all about that. You have to do more than just, well, I'm not going to break the Ten Commandments. That's a great thing. But you have to find God's plan for your life because that's where life is. You know, the Bible says without a vision, the people perish. Like, your vision is what's going to give you life in God. Your sense of purpose, that's what's going to give you steam to keep moving when times are hard. Now, like, God has called me to do this, and I'm going to do it. I don't care if it kills me, you know? You can't just wander around like, like driftwood out on the ocean. You have to have purpose. And when you really focus in and get a hold of God and find out what that purpose is, I'll tell you, it'll give you life. It'll make you get out of bed in the morning when you've got nothing else to live for. I know because it's been doing that for me for years. I'm just telling you from experience. <laughs> So I just encourage you all just to get a hold of God and find out what that thing is and do it with all your might. And I tell you what, it's going to bring God glory. It's going to make you feel great and it's going to cause people to love you, you know, because Jesus is going to be glorified through your life and you're going to look like Jesus when you start doing it. That's how you become like him is to follow his lead. And, you know, the way that God generally has us to die to ourselves and to pick up his plan for our life is by using our gifts to serve other people. And Peter talks about this, if you guys want to turn there with me. It's 1 Peter 4, 10 and 11. Peter says, As every man hath received the gift, even so minister the same one to another, as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. If any man minister, let him do it as the ability which God giveth that God in all things may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom be praise and dominion forever and ever. Amen. See, you know, when we have to use our gifts, it's going to take courage and faith to do that. To pursue God, you have to die to self, because when we're following Jesus, Jesus was going to the cross to die. So he said, take up your cross and follow me. That means you're going to have to go die to self. So when we use our gifts and talents we're going to probably end up dying to ourselves. And I just know from experience, you know, I feel like God has called me to share his word. But I tell you what, I am the most, I'm the last person. I'm like Gideon hiding in the wine press. Or Solomon hiding over, in, or not Solomon, Saul hiding in the baggage. Like, I'm the dude hiding. Like, I don't, want, I don't want to get up and speak in front of people. But God does that sort of stuff on purpose. He uses weak people because his strength is shown great in people like that. And it takes great courage to do that. You have to trust God. God will always give you something larger than yourself. Because if it was something that you could do yourself, it wouldn't take any faith. So if you've got this great vision, this great dream, that's probably from God. And if you can't do it in yourself, that's good. Because it's going to take faith and trust and patience and the fruit of the Spirit in order to see it come to pass. So... In closing up this morning, I just want to know, have you guys totally accepted God's plan for your life? 
if you know what that is? Have you totally accepted it? Are you using your gifts and talents to serve other people? Because that's what we're made to do. We're blessed to be a blessing. We're not supposed to hoard it. We're not supposed to be like the wicked servant who hid his talent in the ground. We're supposed to invest it. If we're not doing this, we're never going to experience this life and life more abundantly than Jesus talked about. Because only when we die to self will we experience this great life. You know, there was a famous missionary that you guys all may have heard of. Some of you may not. His name was Jim Elliott. And uh, Jim Elliott gave his life on the mission field. And he has this famous quote that many people, preachers all over the land, use all the time because it's just so good. And I just want to quote it this morning. He said, He is no fool who gives that which he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. You can't keep your life. You're going to die someday. All of us are going to. You might as well just give it to God. Give it to him because you can't hold on to it. And by giving it, you're going to gain something you can't lose. You're going to get eternal life. <laughs> so I just want to encourage you all this morning. Count the cost and give your all to Jesus because he's worthy. He's worthy, I'm telling you. There's nothing else. There's an old song that said, there's no other way but to trust and obey, to be happy in Jesus. That's just trust and obey. Well, thank you guys for letting me share with you this morning, and God bless you.